Okay, we're good. Well, this morning our young people uh, presented to us the real meaning of Christmas. Sorry about that. And each narrative portrayed an aspect of the birth of the most important person to enter this world, who of course is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't know about you, but I'm both joyful and saddened during this time of year. I'm saddened because the focus uh, has been lost amidst all the commercialization and secularization and mythology of the season. It seems that in most places in the world, uh, more, uh, more uh, emphasis is placed on Santa Claus than on the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. But I am joyful because there came a day in my life when I understood my sinfulness and came to the realization that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of my sin. And on that day, I entered a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus that will last forever. So this morning, I want to emphasize why Jesus came into the world. For most of this, this is going to be a repeat of the old, old story, but uh, we need to be uh, reminded time and time again of why Jesus came into the world. Some might say that Jesus was a great teacher, and he came to start a new religion. Others might say that he came to die for our sins, but they really don't understand what that means. Still, others might say, who's Jesus? And uh, sadly, there are more and more people today in the United States of America who have never even heard of the Lord Jesus. So I want to uh, emphasize today why Jesus came into the world. And I want to go to uh, the book of 1 Timothy. I'm going to read just one verse there. but it very succinctly and clearly states why Jesus came. So let's look at 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So as we study this verse and its context, Let's again be reminded of why Jesus came into this sinful world. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for this time of year that again reminds us that Jesus came from the glory of heaven, took upon himself humanity, and went to the cross of Calvary uh, to die in our place. As we are reminded of this today, help us to be joyful and thankful And Lord, if there's someone here today who's not sure about their salvation, may this lead them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name and for his sake, amen. As we look at this verse today and the few verses around it, I want to uh, share with you four thoughts, four points. First of all, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, as Paul writes here. And uh, 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 Jesus came into this world. That is a fact, whether people believe it or not. All of us are aware of that truth. All of us here today uh, likely believe it. The first four books of our New Testament are about the life of Christ, his teachings and his works. And Jesus uh, entered this world 
from a pre-incarnate eternal existence. The triune God determined the exact time when his son, the Lord Jesus, would enter this world to complete his mission of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote in another place, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And even people who may not believe in Jesus as Savior would be foolish to deny his historical existence. Christianity is the largest uh, religion in the world, even though, of course, not everyone who uh, claims to be uh, Christian is truly born again. But time itself is measured, at least until recently, by the Lord's coming into the world. We date the era before he came as B.C. Uh, We date the era since he came as the Christian era, or A.D., Anno Domino, in the year of our Lord. The problem is not believing or accepting that Jesus is a real person. Uh, The problem is not understanding why he came into the world. So let's take a look here. Let's think about this uh, idea, the purpose of Christ's coming. Paul's statement, as he wrote it here in 1 Timothy, is not an isolated one. We find it uh, dotted throughout the whole New Testament. And it's in full agreement with what Jesus himself declared about his mission, his coming to the earth. So I want to recall to you a number of verses that confirm that truth. We're going to read some statements that Jesus said about himself. Now, to save a little bit of time, I'm just going to give you the reference, and then I'm going to read it to you. The first one is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, and this is what Jesus said. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus addressed that to a group of people called Pharisees, who were very self-righteous, They were obedient to the law of God, and they didn't really think of themselves as sinners who needed to repent. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus put it a little differently. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he again points out the failure of that particular group of people to recognize their need and uh, their need to come to Christ for forgiveness. In Mark 10.45, a very familiar verse, uh, the Lord said, For even the Son of Man did not come uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And there Jesus indicates that he will become the ransom payment that will deliver those who believe in him from the penalty and power of their sin. And Luke 19, the Lord Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, what's lost? Well, uh, when man uh, fell to sin in the Garden of Eden, he lost his right standing with God, and Jesus came to seek lost humanity and restore people to uh, their God. John 3, 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And of course, in his first advent, Jesus did not come to judge humanity, but to deliver it. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And of course, he's talking there about spiritual and eternal life. So these are just some of the statements that Jesus himself uh, revealed to uh, the world as to why he came. 
And they're the basis for what Paul says in 1 Timothy that we read just a moment ago. He came into the world to save sinners. But let's take a little bit of time here to think about what that means because sin and sinners is kind of a broad description. So the second thing I want you to understand is that since Jesus came to save sinners, we need to consider what sin is. Both Paul and Jesus use those terms, sin or sinner, and in uh, uh, our society, you don't really hear that terminology very much unless you go to church. You'll probably hear it there quite often. We hear terminology such as good and bad and evil and right and wrong, but we don't hear about sin. We don't like to be called sinners. Uh, We don't like to view ourselves in this way. And most people think they're a pretty good person. At least they're not as bad as some people, and they're better than others. But Jesus and Paul make it clear that if a person's going to be saved, they have to recognize and deal with this issue of their own sinfulness. Now, the term that Paul used in this verse indicates the broad nature, the universal nature of sin. It speaks of being uh, devoted to sin, of not being able to be free from its power. Paul said elsewhere, for all have sinned and come short of the glory or the perfection of God. He also said there's none righteous, not even one. So nobody is without sin except, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this term is still kind of general. And in order to understand what he really means by this, we need to get pretty specific about some individual sins. And some of those are listed here in this passage as well. Now, if we think of the the writings of the New Testament, the Apostle John gave us a pretty good definition of what sin is in his first epistle. He wrote, sin is the transgression of the law. To transgress means to overstep a boundary. A good example is uh, our modern modern day speed limit. Uh, We have the speed limit set up. It's a boundary that you're not supposed to exceed the speed limit. When you cross that boundary uh, and you get caught, you're going to pay a, pen, uh, a penalty for that. But the law we're talking about is God's law written in his word. And Paul alludes to this if we back up uh, to verse 8. He goes through and names a few specific sins that uh, make it uh, a little bit easier for us to understand our own sinfulness. And verse 8, Paul writes, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So he's talking about God's law because God's law reveals to us what sin is. And he goes on to say, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. Now you might think, well, uh, am I lawless? Am I insubordinate? Let me give you a couple of examples. Did you ever rebel against your parents? Did you ever disobey them? I'm sure you never did, right? (laughs) All of us did at some point or other. What about other people that come into our lives, like a school teacher or uh, a work supervisor or anybody who has authority over us? If we uh, buck against that, if we don't obey that, if we go outside, we're insubordinate. And if you're insubordinate, then you're sinful. He goes on to mention some other things here. 
He talks about the ungodly, uh, for the ungodly and for sinners. So an ungodly person is a person who does not have a proper attitude toward God, a proper reverence toward God. He doesn't worship God. He's not devoted to God. He's ungodly. And this is related to the first commandments we have in the Old Testament regarding what God expects as a relationship between him and people. And uh, uh, we're supposed to love God with all our mind, with all our body, with all our soul, with all of our might. And who has ever done that every day of their life? Nobody has. We haven't always put God first. We're not always acting devoted toward God. And sometimes we may go through a whole day and not even think about God. So that's, talk, that's revealing to us the sin of not being godly. Well, he goes on here to refer to the unholy and the profane. And then he mentions murderers. Murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers. And you're thinking, well, I've got it made there because I didn't kill my mother, I didn't kill my father, I didn't kill anybody else. So I'm not a murderer. Well, the problem is, if we go back again to the teachings of Jesus, he told us, if you have uh, hatred in your heart toward anybody, that's the same as being a murderer. Have you ever told anybody to go take a long walk off a short pier? Would, have you ever thought of somebody, uh, I wish you would just disappear and get out of my life? That's the attitude that can grow and become an outward action of murder. Jesus says the motivation itself is sinful. So again, it's very clear here, we can't escape very much when it comes to a description of what sins are. Then he goes on in the next verse, and he mentions fornicators and sodomites, and we know what that's all about. That's the sins of sexual immorality, and we know the Bible teaches us that God only condones and blesses that kind of a relationship in marriage of one man with one woman. If you go outside of that, then you've committed sin against God, and any such relationship outside of marriage... uh, Uh, Whether society accepts it today or believes it today or not is sinful before the Lord. Kidnappers is mentioned, and then liars and perjurers are mentioned. So here we have uh, something I've never met anybody except for one five-year-old that said they never told a lie. And of course, I'm sure that five-year-old didn't understand what I was talking about anyways. But all of us have stretched the truth, told the bold out-faced lie to get out of trouble, whatever. Uh, we see here just from these few mentionings that we are sinful people, that we are prone to do these things. We may not commit every sin in the book, but we don't only have to commit one to be a sinner. <clears throat> so even Paul... Perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived confesses his own sinfulness in this passage, doesn't he? He says in that verse that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am number one. I'm chief. I'm first. That was his attitude toward himself. And why did he think that? Well, if we back up here, he kind of uh, defines it for us or explains it to us. In verse 13, he says, um, Jesus has counted him faithful now in his ministry. But in verse 13, he says, although I was formerly a blasphemer. 
That means an evil speaker. He spoke evil of the Lord Jesus Christ. He thought he was serving God, but he had the wrong attitude towards Jesus. He was a persecutor. Paul was um, the one to whom those who slew Stephen, the first martyr of the church, they took his garments and laid them at the foot of Paul. He's the one who supervised that action. So Paul was really guilty of murder. He was an insolent man. In other words, he carried things out very fervently, thinking he was pleasing God. He wasn't pleasing God at all when he dragged people off to prison and things of that nature. So Paul himself uh, admitted the truth that he was a person who was a sinner. He didn't realize it until Jesus came to him that day and uh, asked him why he was uh, uh, kicking against the goads, so to speak. So on the basis of just these few revelations, would you agree today from what God says in his word that you are a sinful person, that you are a sinner? Now, that's all bad news, but Jesus came to change all of that. Jesus came, he brought the good news. So the third thing we want to look at this morning is that in order to save sinners, God displayed his mercy and his grace in Jesus Christ. So again, Jesus came to save sinful people. And the verb to save here means to deliver or rescue from danger, harm, destruction. And of course, what danger or destruction uh, does Jesus save us from? He saves us from the effects of uh, sin, which is death. And in the Bible, uh, the, the, uh, the word says the wages of sin is death. Death in God's uh, word alludes to a separation. A separation that we most often think of is when a person dies physically. That's when his soul separates from his body. But there's another kind of separation in the Bible. It's a spiritual separation of our life from God. That's why we're unsure of our relationship with him. That's why we often feel guilty when we do something wrong. We're not sure of our standing with God. Our sin separates us from God, and we, we, we can't uh, uh, sense a relationship to him. <clears throat> and then if we die in that condition, the Lord says that our soul will end up in hell because we'll have to pay the penalty of our own sins. So that's eternal death that we certainly do not want to experience. And this is the just reward for rejecting Jesus as your Savior. He came to save us from this plight of separation from God because of sin. So this is all due to the mercy of and the grace of God, not anything we do to change the situation. Back in verse 13, note, the last part of the verse says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So everything that Paul did, uh, he did it in ignorance, not knowing who Jesus was, He was still guilty of those crimes. He was still culpable for those crimes. But in mercy, God did not give him what he deserved. And the same is true of us. We deserve to be punished for the multitude of sins we've committed. But in mercy, God does not give us 
what we deserve. He put our punishment on the Lord Jesus Christ. He exchanged places with him. God's grace was also abundantly bestowed, as he mentions in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So God's grace is uh, uh, super abundant. Uh, He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is all about. Um, Many people think that if they believe in God uh, and their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then maybe God will accept them and let them come into heaven. But if that is true, if it was dependent upon our goodness and our trying to do good things, why did Jesus need to come into the world at all? That's not really the issue. The problem is this. Even if you could completely live the rest of your life without committing one more sin, how would you ever make up for all the ones you already have committed? You just can't do it. Jesus Christ is the only person who perfectly obeyed God's law so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for our sins past, present, and future, when he died on the cross. And there's nothing good or bad that we can do to add or detract from what Jesus has already done to save us. Salvation from sin is solely due to God's mercy and grace. So that leaves us with a last thought this morning, the last point. Since Jesus came to save sinners, we ought to embrace him as our Savior. What Paul says to us here, you'll note, was a worthy statement, a statement that we ought to believe, a statement that we can trust. That's what he meant here when he said, this is a faithful saying, it's worthy of all acceptance, it's worthy to put your faith and your trust in it, when he says that Christ came to save sinners. So what do you need to do in order to be saved? Well, you need to believe what God says. You need to uh, uh, completely trust what Christ has already done for you on the cross of Calvary to obtain your salvation. He went there. He died in your place. He died in my place. Now listen to the invitation that Jesus uh, gives to lost sinners. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me, God, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, eternal life. He also said, he who believes on him is not condemned. You don't have to pay for the penalty of your own sin. But he who believes not is already condemned because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we must put our complete trust and faith in what Jesus has done to save us from our sin, accept the truth that we're sinful, uh, repent of it, and ask him to be our Savior, trust in what he has done for us. The Apostle John closed out his gospel by saying this, showing the purpose for which he wrote. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So that's what it's all about. It's about trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior from sin. Trusting him alone to be the one who can clean the slate and make you right with God. So this morning, what do you believe about the coming of Jesus into the world? Why did he come? He came to save you. He came to save me. So do you believe what he said and what Paul said and what all the scriptures say about salvation? That you are a lost sinner. You need to admit that and you need to turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that, Call upon him to be your savior. He will save you from your sin and he'll help you to change your life and to put away all those sins that you've committed and start living for him and not living for yourself and for the devil and for sinfulness. So uh, uh, I, I trust today that most of you have made that commitment. You've admitted the truth that you're a sinner before God. You understand that you really deserve uh, uh, hell for the sin that you've committed, but Christ came and delivered you from that and he became your savior and your Lord and now you're walking with him. But there might be somebody here today that not made that commitment or you're not sure of your relationship to the Lord or maybe you're not walking the way you should and you need to get back with him. This is a perfect time to make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's close with a word of prayer this morning. <clears throat> Our gracious heavenly father, we're again thankful for this time of year where we commemorate the coming of Jesus into the world the first time to be our Savior. And Lord, we're thankful that the majority of us here today realize why you came. There was a time in our life when we admitted our sin, we turned from it to the Savior, and we uh, took you uh, into our heart and our life through faith and faith alone. But Lord, there might be somebody here this morning who's not sure of their relationship to you, and they need to uh, make that decision. They need to see their sin. They need to see that they need to repent of it and turn to Christ. And we pray today you might help them to do that. So before we close this morning, nobody looking around, maybe there's someone here, you're not sure of your relationship to the Lord, and you would just like me to pray for you, and maybe we could get together after the service this morning. Is there anyone at all? I'm not sure, Pastor, if I know the Lord. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Would you please pray for me? Just lift your hand up. Anyone at all? Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray. You continue to work your word into our hearts and lives. We thank you that Jesus came, that he died, uh, that he rose again on the third day to uh, prove that he was uh, your son uh, that came to save us from our sin. Help us, Lord, to walk with you and live for you in this uh, coming new year. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.